Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to be here with Golnaz Hashemzadeh Bunde. Very welcome, Golnaz. Thank you. If you don't mind, could I kick off with uh, a question that is probably the shortest and for many people the most difficult question, which is, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) I think um, when I hear that, I think of the word change. And I think adapting to change has been maybe the most um, central thing in my life, both personally and professionally. So I would say, you know, I'm a person who kind of thrives when things are not stable and I'm always uh, working with change and sometimes, you know, or actually trying to create change as well. Does change in any way scare you or you just kind of yes. thrive of it? No, no, no. It's super scary. And I think that's <laughs> why I kind of like to confront it, you know, not just sit by, as a, not be passive, but kind of be engaged in it because it scares me so much. And when you uh, get closer to this uh, shadow of change that is kind of semi-scary, what typically happens then? It can, it's like a shadow that disappears or? Yes, I would say it does because, I don't know, I tend to feel that things are more scary when you watch them from a distance. But when you're in it and you're trying to, you know, improve, you feel hope and you feel able. So, yes, I would say the shadow disappears. Six years ago, you founded Inkludera which in English would be the word include, to help people who have clever social innovation solutions to scale up to drive good social impact. What what made you take this step? Well, I would say it definitely came from change. To me, in the uh, election 2010 in Sweden, when the Sweden Democrats were elected into parliament, I felt that was a huge change in a direction that I felt, for many reasons, uncomfortable with. So, and that's when I started, you know, working with the idea of Includera. And our main goal is to reach out on a grassroots level to people who are either outside of society, let's say young criminals, or people who risk, you know, to not be included in the future, let's say, kids in uh, segregated areas. And what I wanted to do and what we want to do is to reach these people and give them a fair chance to actually become a part of society. So all the solutions that we work with address these groups. So, And and so far, how many people do you think or do you know that you have affected in a, you know, in a positive way? through the various programs? We know that uh, last year our organizations worked with 25,000. This year they will work with 37,000 
it's a large number. And we also, since our work aims to scale these solutions, we know that, you know, we're getting better and better and we will reach many more very soon. Fantastic job. I've, I've read up a little bit on, on your website. Could you give an example of like a, one of the most strong innovative solutions that mm -hmm. you've come across so far? Yes, let's take uh, an organization mm. called Process Shedian as an example. They work with young criminals uh, from the ages of 13. Mm. The founders and all of the employees of the organization are all ex-criminals themselves and have a very deep understanding both for, you know, what kind of circumstances that put you in that situation, but also for what's needed for you to get out of it. And what they do, which is truly a social innovation, is that first in Sweden, when a young criminal is arrested, they're in you know, isolation. They don't get to meet anyone other than the police and their lawyer. And the process Shedian know from their experience that at that point, you have the biggest doubt about the criminal career. You don't know how much information the police has, mm. which other people they've arrested, or you know mm. what they called and told your mother. Mm. So they know that if you if you can target these youth at that point, you have a much larger you know chance to change the future for them, and that's something that they get access to. So they get a call from the police stations, and they get to start building a relationship with this person that early. It's important to know that when a young boy is arrested in Sweden, the risk that this person will, will relapse, that is be arrested again for a crime within three years is over 80%, which really shows a you know, systematic failure. We're not changing people when we have them under our you know, custody. Yeah. And what Process Shedian aims to do is to basically lower that number. So both through starting the relationship with youth in that closed, isolated room, but also then through following this person through all the government agencies that they have to pass before they're out again. There are five different agencies from the police to, uh, you know, to the time of release and no adult person who actually has a relationship with these youth during this period. So that's that's one example of, a, of an innovative way of working to address basically a big, you know, big challenge and failure in our public system. Golnas, what is your passion and what are your dreams? Well, I've found through life that I'm always drawn to the issues of you know, injustice and tolerance and, well, basic democracy. And I think that comes a lot from the fact that my parents were you know, revolutionaries in Iran during the 70s. And then they came to Sweden and they always kind of held those values and that, well, struggle that they had the fight that they did it was always it was always a big part of them and my upbringing so i find myself you know want sometimes i want to look to the other side and mind my own business but i'm incapable of doing that so it's a very basic you know my passion is 
for everyone to have the same opportunity mm. and to be treated equal. Mm. And, and you had that experience when you finally came to Sweden yourself in your life. Did you experience that all the time? Yes, or? I did. I mean, I certainly experienced a platform for it and a place with, you know, all the uh, all the opportunities of that. But then, of course, you know, nothing is perfect. And I, I did throughout my childhood and upbringing witness, you know, situations where I felt that everyone still isn't treated equal. And of course, that's why the passion has stayed with me. But did you have any personal experience on, in Sweden uh, yourself uh, that was kind of questioning you or marginalizing you or um well i mean yes i did i definitely did when i was a child mm. i grew up in an area which was very you know swedish and we were among the first immigrants from you know outside of europe this was in the uh, mid 80s so i grew up with a lot of the kind of racism that just mm. flows during your ordinary day I was beaten in the schoolyard and I had teachers tell me you know you will never get an A in Swedish because it's not your language and all of that but I think those stories I mean I I still feel very fortunate because I had other factors in my life that you know made that created resilience and didn't these events were never you know what shaped my life but they truly I mean, made me aware and then when I was in my teens I would spend a lot of time with people from other parts of town more segregated areas and I think the time I spent there really made an impact on me mm. because it was obvious that these kids I mean I knew I would move on but I could also see that they wouldn't because they didn't have anywhere to go. And they didn't have somebody to help them, right? Or to, no. to inspire them. No, maybe they to... didn't have anyone to help them. They didn't have just mm. a, you know, a perception of being part of society. Mm. And I think that's truly the biggest obstacle. Mm. When you feel you're not part of something, you have a much longer way of becoming part of it. And, Yeah, which is exactly what you're trying to create now. I understand this this kind of platform to yes of, of inclusion uh, and making things possible. Yes. What turning points in your life have influenced you the most? Well, obviously leaving Iran, which my family did when I was uh, three years old, because I'm living in a very different world now than I would have. Then also, actually, um, I mean, we've talked about the Swedish election. There was another election not so long ago, uh, the Trump election, that also has influenced a lot of how I, you know, how I've come to view the world. But I think um, two very key events that happened close to each other was when I lost my mother and father. They both died within four years and they were quite young. In their early 50s and I think that I mean of course that shook my 
world and it also gave me a very strong feeling of you know always always looking at what's valuable yeah. and real because our time is limited and so extremely you know, valuable we can't be messing around the whole concept of being authentic being the person you are and living according in accordance with your values mm. because you know tomorrow might not be a second chance and uh, what are your values if you you know need to kind of pick a few at least uh, that are strongly ingrained in you well i think one of my core values is something that also is very much a part of how we work at includera which is to never you know talk from above about people but always talking with people and realizing that we're different and to be able to create a platform for each and every one you have to understand each and every one you can't have like a top down view on the world if we move over to the world of business and organizations what long term solutions do you believe in well i very much believe in meaning that that has to be a part of your you know core idea it has to be a part of how you organize you know how you use the people that work for you how you lead and it's uh, i think we've matured so much as a community that it's not enough to just be you know turning paper or making profits but you have to feel that it's contributing to something uh, so creating meaning and uh, do you have an example of a business leader or a company that you admire that you think really has arrived to this kind of meaningful way of driving their company or meaningful way of driving their business well my obvious response to that is you know the the organizations that we work with are social entrepreneurs we're all running nonprofits working day and night um scaling their solutions not in any sense for you know personal uh, financial gain but only for the cause that they believe in and i think it's been a very fantastic shift in sweden where i during the past 5 6 years we've seen a number a big number of these kinds of organizations emerging they're not uh, you know a traditional activist kind of organization these are professional organizations that deliver services with high value to target groups that really need them only to make you know social change and create impact but is your goal with the um, social entrepreneurs that you are helping through includera is your goal that they should also be for profit later right it's just the initial phase that they are non-profit or is there a is there a target around that at well, all no i mean we're creating organizations that they sell services they get paid for it we we truly want to maximize their income but all the money is supposed to stay in the organization in order to help us expand and reach more people mm. So these organizations will never be for profit and that's not the you know that's not the goal but that doesn't mean that they're not 
professional and efficient. If you assume that all doors are open and all resources are available, what would you innovate or change? I would aim to resolve conflicts in the world and uh, create homes for all the people who are losing it, who are losing their homes every day. That would be my number one, two and three. Mm. And then, as an extension to that, in our context, I would, I would be out there on a grassroots level, talking to individuals and help them to inclusion. Because I think, I mean, businesses, organizations can have fantastic ideas and uh, goals and profits. But unless we manage to solve these issues, we're all living in a very unstable world and nothing really, you know, matters. So this would be to create a stable foundation for everything else that's happening in our world. What do you think is the purpose of companies? I think traditionally you would, of course, say to make money for your shareholders or to create job opportunities. And that's I, respectable. But I do think that in order to be able to do that, companies have the force and should participate in the civil society as well. As I said before, you know, to create that stable foundation to be able to do all of the things that you want to do that are fun and profitable. Mm. And if, you're, if you have a long-term perspective, you can't detach for-profit companies from the civil society that they live in. If you could give one piece of advice to leaders, what would it be? I come back to the concept of creating meaning uh, for doesn't matter if it's employees or customers or other kinds of shareholders, but I do think that we kind of need to have a holistic perspective on what we do, uh, regardless of what it is. And I think we're so much more interconnected and we all feel as a part of a bigger thing because of, you know, social media and communication being so much more easy and also more complex. So I think everyone wants to want to feel that they're part of something and that they're a part of what's going on on different levels. And I think it's very important for leaders to see that and identify what people need to feel passionate and engaged. And you can't really close, you know, the office space from the rest of the world. It's very much a part of it. But a company as such, if we see it as a system, how is it already changing according to you from what you see, the way it is organized or the way it is, it's functioning? Companies more and more, you know, need to be proactive agents in society and kind of build the responsibility more and more into the business model and culture. Culture is very important. And I think it's hard to, as I said, you know, you can't think that the walls of the office separates you from what's going on in the world because it's pouring in. Somebody told me that, you know, companies should strive to be not only the best in the world, but also best for the world. Yeah. And that's kind of 
Yeah, right. exactly. Summing, summing up yeah, summing, what it's all about. Mm. Yes, I mean, it, it might sound very naive, but I feel, you know, if not that, then why exist? Yeah. You know, what's, what's, the, what's the purpose of just um, enriching yourself and, um, you know, your employees? Yeah, everybody has a dream and they want to be part of something bigger. I think even if each person has a small kind of individual dream, they, uh, they want to take part of something bigger. And that bigger perspective can absolutely be, be the company perspective, that they are on a journey together. Yeah, definitely. And it's not only about, you know, trying to save the world and be a good guy, but it's also for the company's own benefit, that if you manage to engage and motivate your people with things that make them passionate, they'll do a much better work for you and for your purposes. Yeah. So it's not only about, you know, trying to be a hero. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Although we need a lot of heroes. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> if you could give one piece of advice to yourself 15 years ago, what would it be? <laughs> I've, I recently realized that the advice I would want to give to myself 15 years ago is probably a piece of advice I still need, <laughs> which is to have patience. That, you know, the fastest way isn't always the best way. Mm. And that things will come together and you kind of just need to work for it every day, not run for it <laughs> every day. Mm. So patience. And I mean, what we do at Includera is we work with, well, what's called, you know, slow entrepreneurship. It's not part of the big tech movement. It's a business that's about people changing lives for other people. It's slow. It takes years. And I really feel that working with these issues have taught me patience. But I wake up many mornings and realize I haven't, you know, learned enough about, about it. Do you feel somehow that, that everything around us is stressing you and your organization, of course, to move faster as everybody keeps saying that change will never be as slow as now? So what is it within your world that needs to change faster, according to you? Well, I don't know if I necessarily believe in that, you know, I mean, it may be that that's the trend, but is it what's uh, needed and wanted? I, I don't think so. Mm. I don't think that things are better because they're fast. And of course, our world changes a lot and we have to adapt to it. But I mean, again, what I work with are entrepreneurs, what they do, their solutions are all long term and they will create big impact if they are able to work, you know, in the long run with each individual, in the long run with um, the system. And uh, I don't think you can just exclude the perspective of the long term, you know, just because you see this trend mm. of fast change. So I don't think I believe in it. I don't think that's how we thrive as individuals or as organizations. What do you think is the most 
important thing for companies to focus on right now if you have to pick like the top top one i would say culture because that's the best word for talking about individuals interacting with other individuals i think we're at the time now where you know when our core values are maybe sometimes challenged because of fast change in the world outside our country or our you know sphere and i think what's most important is that individuals keep treating each other with respect and dignity and kindness i think everything that we believe in and stand for can relies on that so i mean and the first step is of course to make sure that you have that within the organization that you work in and then the next would of course be to encourage people to take that even outside what is the best way to build the culture i would say as a leader it's to act as an example and to make sure to be consistent and to make sure that that example is uh, communicated what do you think the world needs most at this time compassion compassion for i mean between individuals as i was saying compassion for people who are enduring war and uh, you know ideological suppression but also compassion for those who do not share our view in different matters and then of course compassion for our planet and our resources but i think we we need to um, all be more active in trying to understand things that are not maybe visible to us or in accordance with you know what we identify with try to be bigger people how do you remind yourself of this aspect uh, on a kind of a daily life basis well you know i i just thought about that during the easter holiday i was talking to my grandfather who's uh, 88 and lives in Iran and he's actually my only older relative and when i talked to him he manages to teach me things every time and of course you know the core thing is just love realizing how strong love can be and how you know really nothing else matters in the end but also we talk a lot about what's going on in Iran and uh we talk about you know the the economics of the country how people my cousins you know they it's very hard to find a job it's very rare that you can support your family on one job you have to have several jobs to be able to support your children and yeah it's a very sad story basically because it's not getting any better mm. each year it's just getting worse and i feel two things when we have these conversations one is of course a sadness for these people but then one is definitely gratitude i'm extremely grateful for the opportunity that i've been given to live 
a life that allows me not only to support my child, but also to thrive intellectually and emotionally, and a life that allows me to be free mm. in you know, every sense of the word. So I think we all need to remind ourselves of how extremely lucky we are and feel that gratitude, because when you do that, and you understand that other people are not as fortunate, it's also easier to be, you know, compassionate. Mm. Uh, you've also written uh, a book uh, some time ago, She Is Not Me, right? Yes. Why did you write that book? And can you just briefly tell us what it is about? Yeah, I wrote that book. It was published five years ago. and. I worked on it for a few years and I actually wrote it to figure out my, you know, identity, basically. I came to Sweden as a three-year-old. In Swedish terms, I'm a first-generation immigrant. But I'm also someone who has grown up only in one culture and one way of life, and that's the Swedish one. And for a long time, I didn't really know, you know, what I was because I internally identified with being Swedish, but people who saw me would view me as something non-Swedish. And that was a big conflict when I was young. So I kind of needed to resolve that. That's what the story is about. A young girl who grows up in Sweden, learning from the beginning that she's not Swedish, it's different, and trying to find a way of being accepted, of as someone who is a part of this country, was brought up in a way that made me adapted. But what happened during my teenage years was that I felt that I didn't really find the kind of, uh, you know, sense of community and mm. inclusion where I was living. So I started to spend a lot of time with youth from more segregated areas who looked like me. And that's actually a, a part of the book because the experience was that in the beginning it was fine because I looked like everyone else. But then just a few months in, these people would look at me and say, well, I mean, you're not a part of us. You're not one of us. You're Swedish. Because my mindset and my language and all of that, my values were so different from theirs. And I kind of realized that, you know, I have this group that say I'm not a part of them because of how I look. And then I have this group that says I, I'm not a part of them because of how I speak and how I think. And it took a bit of time to kind of figure it out and to find, you know, a core mm. in it and kind of define for myself mm. what I am and what I am not. Well, the book is a lot about how everyone else always decide for us, you know? Mm. You're this or you're that. Mm. And often we don't have much say mm. in that. And there is another book coming up uh, in a couple of months, right? Yes. And what is that about? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, this book is about an older woman. Well, older than me. She's in her early 50s and she learns that she is going to die. And she's a person who's fought a lot, you know, during her time. It's 
a lot inspired, you know, from my parents' stories. She was a revolutionary. She lost uh, people close to her. She left her country, you know, in order to survive and make sure that her child survives. And she struggles to build a new life. She struggles in her relationship with her husband because they're both such, you know, well, they have so much trauma, both of them. And she's been fighting and fighting and fighting to survive and build a life. And now she realizes she's going to die young anyway. And she wants to find something hopeful and light in all of this. And the book is a lot about, you know, how you balance your losses and sorrows with your gains and happiness. Beautiful. And it's coming out in uh, August. summer. In August this yes. year, okay. Yes. Wow. What will be the name of the book, can we say? Yes, it's called What We Owe. What We Owe. Wonderful. Good names, both of them. Who would you recommend that I should invite to my podcast? Do you have any suggestions? I do, actually. I think you should invite one of our social entrepreneurs who do not come from, you know, a business perspective, but work with very real issues and always, you know, create income mm. to finance it. Because it's kind of a different view on money and what you can do with money. Great. Thank you. So thank you, Goldness. It was really great talking to you and thank you for sharing everything. To find out more about Golnas and Includera and their work, you could head to includera.se and of course also find Includera on Facebook. Thank you for listening and until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Thank you so much. Ciao. Thank you. Thank you.